0: 24, 25, 30, 35, 40 on a bad day, <laughs> uh, we listen and we take in whatever we take in and we go away and actually it's probably not the best way to teach anyone and if we never come back and kind of recap what were kind of some of the key things that we wanted to talk about here we're never actually going to embed them we're never going to actually become transformed by them we're never going to be able to embrace these things that we think God is saying to us and actually live them out and so I I was really keen that we do that today so If you've been here for all of the art series, there's nothing new today. So you can have a snooze for the next 25, 30, 35, 40 minutes. But I I do actually, I'm really keen for us to recognise that I think God's spoken at least three things, but certainly three things uh, to us during this uh, series that I'm keen for us to pick up. So just in case you weren't here, here are the pieces of art that we did look at. So we looked at uh, Vision After the Sermon, which is by Gauguin and is uh, housed in the, uh, the museum in town that I've forgotten the name of, the one on... Princess Street the National Museum thank you Um, and this is uh, you can't see it terribly clearly but this up here is uh, Jacob wrestling with an angel from Genesis chapter 18 and a bunch of uh, French Breton people predominantly women watching and we talked about some of the symbology symbolism uh, that was there and how we grew from that Uh, we looked at uh, very famous uh, Last Supper by da Vinci. Uh, we've got, this is uh, The Return of the Prodigal Son by uh, Rembrandt. It's really unclear what you're seeing here, but this is the father, this is the son, this is the elder brother, and there are actually, you'll have to take my word for it, there are about three other characters in that picture. Uh, so we looked at that, Bell led us through that. This is Caravaggio's um, Supper at Emmaus, and uh, This was, uh, Andy took us through that, we're going to talk about that one a little bit. This is uh, Rublev's uh, Angels at Mamre, or alternatively called the Trinity, and we'll come back to that one too, and this is Sisyphus by Titian uh, that Morvan led us through last week. So we've looked at all these pieces as ways, and I want to remind you of this, that what we were using not We didn't want to become art experts, but we wanted to be able to see the Scriptures afresh. We wanted to see God afresh. And what we were doing is saying this might be another way into it. And for those of you who've been here, has it been helpful? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've loved it. I've found it really, really helpful uh, as something that's opened my eyes to things that I didn't see in the text before. So with, there are three things that I think have been really significant throughout this series. The first is discipleship and in actual fact I think most of the sermons have touched on this question. What is it to be a follower of Jesus? What is it to say that you are a disciple of Jesus? How does that work out? And um It was in most, if not all, of the sermons, but it was the main focus of Bell's sermon on uh, the return of the prodigal son. So I just want to remind us of some of what Bell said that morning uh, in order to help us to see or to remind ourselves as we walk this out so this was uh the return of the prodigal son that i showed you a moment ago and one of the key points bell made is that you can see that the hands of the father holding the son are different. There's two different hands here. The one on the right here is a powerful more masculine hand and the one on the left is a more feminine hand. Now hands are are notoriously difficult to draw for artists but we think Rembrandt was probably good enough to have managed to paint two of the same hands if he'd really wanted to. The point therefore being that he was trying to tell us something or make a point with this. And that's exactly what he was doing. And Bell helped us to see that the hand, the the father hand or the male hand, was that hand of challenge. uh, And then this supportive hand, the more female hand, the mother hand, was somewhat more supportive. So we have this challenge and support. And Bell said, actually, do you know what? If we look at that on a graph, it would look like this. We have invitation or support and challenge and um, as we go through this you'll see that in depending on which of the quadrants you find yourself or we find ourselves as a church community we end up with a different kind of discipleship so if we are in this space down here where we have low challenge and low support then what we end up with is a board community Right, We just sit around, there's no real challenge to do anything, we rock up, but it's fine. But there's also no real support, and so there's no real commitment to one another, there's no real sense of togetherness. And so people just sit about bored, and the church just listlessly drifts along as a bored community. If we're in this bottom section here, and I do love the emojis... Um, Uh, they're not mine these were bells emojis uh, I hasten to add Uh, if we're in this place of high invitation and low support we end up with a stressed out community now I have seen loads of churches like this and as I wrote in my little bit for buzz this week this is a risk for us we need to be honest about that that as we are at a place where we're growing as a church where new people are coming along where we're trying to do some new things there's a real risk that we get really busy and we forget about the support part. And actually that ends up with people just burning out and deciding, you know what, I'm opting out of this because I can't keep this up. The pace is too fast and it's too high. And actually I don't think you get much growth in this space. What you get is a lot of stuff happening, but not a lot of growth. Um, It can look good from the outside, but the people on the inside are dying because they're just all doing too much. It's a real risk for us, we need to be careful. On the other side, we get this high-support community and low-challenge community. So basically, everyone's welcome. We're going to be really lovely. We're going to do lots of things together, and we'll keep everybody. We look, we've got great pastoral care set up, all of those things. And actually, it just becomes a holy huddle. And that we all know churches like that, Right? Um, we all know churches like that. And it's not to be overly critical, it's just to recognise that that's a definite risk. That, that we can just become this insular group that exists for our own selves and not for anyone outside the building. The ultimate place to be perhaps is up here. Said Bell, and I agree, that we would be a discipling community. One of high invitation, high support. So we do do the pastoral care. We do do the walking with one another. We do share life together. We do offer hospitality to one another. And at the same time, we are consistently challenging one another. As the scriptures would say, we spur one another on to love and good deeds. That there is actually a sense in which we must be about doing stuff as well as just loving one another. And so this becomes the discipling community. And this is what we want to be. This is who we want to be. This is the way that we want to begin to live as a community together. And Belle helped us see it wasn't just her good idea that she didn't just have this nice little box to draw that we can all go, Oh yeah, I know, I understand what that means. But actually she showed us from the scriptures that this is exactly how Jesus discipled people. And so particularly the easiest example is Matthew chapter 28. Where Jesus says. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Right? We can agree that's quite a big challenge. Right? These are a dozen blokes. And if we read just a little bit before that. Some of whom are struggling with doubt at that very minute. And they're standing there. And Jesus says. Tell you what. Go and make disciples of all nations I mean I'd be fair to say if I said to you this morning our job is to make disciples of all nations all of us that's what we're going to go and do there might be a few little eye rolls right it's a, it's a massive challenge to them they're like we can't what eh? massive challenge and yet what's the next bit surely I am with you always the very end of the age. High challenge, high support this is the way Jesus discipled, this is the way we should disciple one another and actually I think yes, I think it's important that we keep this challenge bit up Because I think the church has become boring to too many people. It's easy just to roll in and roll out and I don't have to do anything. But actually creating a challenge for people. Actually it's stretching. It's difficult to do. That actually we're going to do stuff that you and I in and of ourselves wouldn't normally do. But maybe together we can do something. Maybe together with God we can do even more. That actually that challenge becomes vitally important. We need to figure out how we work this out in our church. That's going to be the goal of the next years, I guess. It'll be a constant move where we will be, you know, I don't think churches are fixed on this. So we can, we might be here at one point and then actually we need to figure out how we up this. We might be in this space at some point, so we need to figure out how we go this way. And it's our job together to do that. So if you see us becoming a cozy community, you should be coming to me and saying, you leaders need to have a chat with yourselves. We are far too cozy. If you see us being this stressed out community at the bottom, say, we need some support here. We're dying. We are all in this together. This is where I think it will be really helpful for us to continue to refer back to this and see exactly where are we at, how are we going to do that. One of the things we're going to do over the next few months is have a look at how we practice our discipleship. So what things can we do over the next, well we're going to look at it in October and November. What things can we do that will help us to grow as disciples, to keep this challenge and this support high on both sides. So that was one of the things that came out this year, this year, this summer uh, from our discipleship thing. The second was hospitality. Um, Andy spoke from this passage, uh, this story, the story from the road to Emmaus, which you find in uh, the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 24. Uh, and this is Jesus at the table uh, with two disciples they've walked the Emmaus road Jesus has done the most amazing bible study there ever was and then they sit down to have table uh, sit down at table to have food and Jesus breaks the bread and their eyes were open this is the very moment of them suddenly realizing who he was but one of the important things that Andy pointed out to us is the perspective that Caravaggio has used here and it means that there's a space here right at the Front of the table almost as if there's an invitation for us to enter into that table that actually there's space there and so the hospitality that is offered is also offered to us not just to the two disciples and then Karen talked about this painting which is based on uh, Genesis chapter 18 where Abraham encounters three angels at Mamre and uh, Rublev painted it to tell that story but also to tell the story of the trinity and uh, we see something of the nature of God in this and again the perspective is painted so that there is a space at the table that there's an invitation to us to participate in the life of the trinity and that whole thing, theme of hospitality that both Andy and Karen brought out is vitally important to us. I think as we want to be a church that reaches our culture, and I'm assuming we do. Yeah? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's not telly, you can speak back. Um, we, uh, as we want to reach our culture, I'm convinced that hospitality is one of the key ways that we can do it. Hospitality should be normal for us. It should be exactly the way that we participate in life because we have received hospitality. God has welcomed us. And we could could have looked at Bell's painting The Return of the Prodigal Son to see perhaps the, the greatest example of hospitality where someone who was far off has been welcomed back. And so we get the opportunity to participate together in offering hospitality because we have received hospitality. And it's important that we get that the right way around. We must first be the recipients of hospitality, the hospitality of God. And it it causes us, we need to be humble in that. We recognize that it's not because we are good that that has happened, but it is because God is ever graceful, ever graceful ever-loving, and has welcomed us to his table. And then because we've received like that, we can then offer hospitality to others. And uh, I think both Andy and Karen said this, and it is important to note, that there is a risk that hospitality has become slightly trendy and it's been somewhat defined as, uh, I guess, having your friends over for a nice dinner, uh, hanging out with your, your mates while you... To get your best Jamie Oliver book out and bung something in the oven and come out and go Dada! and everybody has a lovely time and that's a good thing to do and we should all do as much of that as we can but the biblical notion of hospitality comes from a Greek word that says uh, which means lover of strangers that hospitality is about something that we do towards those that we don't know not just those that we do know that's the risk taken that's the important bit and Karen told a bunch of stories of people that we have been fortunate enough to be able to offer hospitality to but also people who have offered us hospitality and in profound ways where they didn't know us from Adam and were willing to put us up and it it changes something and so hospitality is a critical and key uh, thing for us both in terms of mission but also in terms of who we are as a people the final one was the Christian life um, which really Morven talked about last week when she came no I didn't put the image in uh, where she talked from uh, Titian's story uh, sorry Titian's painting of Sisyphus, Sisyphus being this is why there's giant rocks here I'm not going to pick it up and carry it up and down the stairs like Morvan did. But the point of Sisyphus was his curse was to carry a great big stone and walk up to the top of the hill every day. And when he got to the top of the hill, he put it down and it rolled all the way back down to the bottom. And he had to walk back down to the bottom and pick it up. And that's what he did every day. And and the whole point was there's a pointlessness to it. And Morvan read to us from the book of Ecclesiastes where we see the whole meaningless, meaningless. All is meaningless and really brought a challenge to us is that how we're living is that how we think of life do we have some sense of purpose in life and I know for some people it was a really difficult sermon to hear but I think it was critical one because it said we're not afraid to talk about difficult questions we're not pretending like nobody's ever said what what's the point in this but also because when we then bring a biblical lens to those kinds of questions, we get a different answer. We don't end up hopeless, but we end up filled with hope. As Morvan said, somebody had written, and I, I, I don't remember, I didn't know who she said it was. But they, they had said, we are in the habit of living without thinking. And there are many of us particularly beyond the church, but in the church too, who are in the habit of living without thinking. We've never engaged with what we're doing. But Morvan was really keen for us to see that if we just tried harder, that wasn't going to fix anything. Sisyphus could lift a heavier rock, he could lift it faster, any of that. It wouldn't make any difference. It was still going to roll down to the bottom of the hill. And she pointed us to the book of Colossians. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so this transfer has taken place from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. And that is true for those of us who have given our lives to Jesus. We've been transferred. And the question is, is that the end of it then? So we're now in this new kingdom, but actually life just goes on as it was. Well, no because the kingdom, this message of the kingdom, which more than helpfully summarized as God is God, Jesus is Lord, evil is ultimately defeated, and God's new kingdom has begun, we get to participate in that new kingdom, that there is a life to be lived as those who are in the kingdom of God. And so the question is then, how then do we live? And Morvin didn't mention this passage, but it was going through my head the whole time she was speaking last week, is John 10, verse 10. And it says that Jesus has come to give life and life in all of its abundance, or life in all of its fullness, however you want to translate that. And I don't know, well, actually I do know because I'm a pastor and I speak to people about this all the time. Most people don't feel like they're living some sort of abundant life. They're kind of getting by or they're, Doing all right. And so the question is what is this abundant life that Jesus is offering us? This is the Christian life question. What is it, this Christian life? And Morvan read a passage from um, Eugene Peterson's The Message, Matthew chapter 11. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Now, I don't know about you, but I like the sound of that. Unforced rhythms of grace. Living freely and lightly. Sounds like good news to me, right? So our series in uh, October and November is going to be called Unforced Rhythms of Grace. We're going to be looking at some habits, practices, things we can do that will help us or that can help us to begin to embrace some of this life. A life that embraces rest, that says Sabbath's important. Not as a law thing, but as a gift thing. That says prayer is vitally important how do we pray these kinds of questions and we're going to spend some time looking at that because I think Morvan was on to something for us not only about asking difficult questions but about saying this is a critical issue for us how do we know we're living this life that God has called us to this abundant life those are the three things discipleship no more slides they died Uh, discipleship the Christian life and hospitality thanks I had to go back in my notes there I had a mind blank well done Glenn Um, there have been a lot more and I'm sure if we did a shout round the room what have you learned this year we would get some this summer that we would get some other things but these are three that i want us to hang on to that i want us to return to that i want us to focus on over the next i don't know let's call it a year that we're going to come back to these themes and say how are we doing with our discipleship how are we how are we getting on with being hospitable And receiving hospitality. How are we doing this Christian life? Does it feel like life? Or is it just hard work for too many of us? I'm going to finish there. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you. Yeah, I thank you, Lord, that you have been hospitable to us. That you have called us to yourself you've made a space for us at your table. Help us to accept that invitation. I guess daily. To come and to sit with you at your table. That our Christian lives might be marked. Not by weariness and tiredness and busyness. But by joy and rest and hope and life. Teach us these unforced rhythms of grace, Lord. And we want to be a place of discipleship, a place of followership of Jesus, a place where we, together, learn what it is to follow after Jesus, to pattern our lives after his. Not for our own benefit, but so that this you know this high street, this area of Edinburgh, that Portobello, that the East Lothian might be blessed by our presence. That we might be good news to this community, in the way that we live, and how we use our gifts and our uh, our abilities, how we use this building. Help each one of us this week to try to live like that for you. Not out of duty, but out of joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.